another episode of the Azure Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langle-Ziggich. I'm Roy Vandewater. I'm Drew LeSueur. And joining us today is Esther Derby. Uh, hi, Esther. Hi. And so today we are, we're going to talk about how uh, management changes with Agile. I think this is a really topical thing uh, for a lot of teams right now, a lot of organizations who maybe are in the process of adopting Agile or have adopted Agile. I know this is something, you know, management in general is something that you seem to write a lot about uh, on your blog and, you know, reference on Twitter and whatnot. So it seems like Mm -hmm. something that you're passionate about. Uh, You know, what is is. it specifically about management and how management fits in an organization that uh, gets you so excited? I thought you just plugged Agile in and then the team members just started performing better and faster (laughs) and then that was it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess that that might work for some people. Some people seem to believe that that's true. Yeah, so how do you see management's role in Agile? I think that's kind of a muddy question for a lot of people. They, there's not really a clear answer. I, th- I, think, I think there is a role for managers in many organizations. And I think we did not do ourselves a service when the, you know, some of the early pundits said, we don't need no stinking managers, just fire all the managers and all will be well. Um, but I think the role changes. I think it, And the first thing is that... Um, for many managers, they go from managing a functional group where everybody has essentially the same skills to working with a, a cross-functional group. And notice I didn't say managing. I said working with. It's an important distinction, I think, for a lot of people. Um, you know, What you brought up just there is something that we've seen in some of the work that we're doing where – um, maybe someone was a functional manager, say, of developers, right? And so they had this very clear-cut role of who was on their team and what they did. And as the teams become more cross-functional, you have people from other parts of the organization, maybe that are uh, generating content or something like that, where they are not a traditional developer, uh, but they're still integral in this part of the process or for the product that they're shipping. And mm-hmm. now there's this kind of, well, these people aren't on my team. I'm not their functional manager, so, you know, if I want to beat them with the stick, I can't do that because they don't report to me. Uh, that seems to cause a lot of problems for some people. You know, obviously, uh, beating them with a stick is not your idea of uh, a good manager, but you know, it seems uh, to happen. No, no, I think that's it's an interesting mental ma- model of management, and I think it's actually rather widespread. But I don't think it's at all effective. Right. Or it may be getting it may be effective at at. Uh, in some sense, in that people will do uh, many things to avoid being hit with the stick, but it may not include, you know, quality writing, quality software, or creating quality products. So, I guess what what would you see like in an ideal world? You know, you use the specific word, you know, that the manager's working with; they're not managing people. You know, in kind of an ideal agile organization or one that has adopted agile and they have that they're utilizing their managers effectively. You know, what does the manager's kind of day-to-day kind of role look like? It doesn't have anything to do with what they learned in business school. Um, probably not. <laughs> um, well, I, I think the real power for managers and the real value they can bring to the organization is working across the organization and not just with one functional group or one team, but understanding the organization as a system and removing impediments and reducing the friction there is in almost every organization to getting to getting uh, quality products out the door. So lean tells us something about that and systems thinking tells us something about that um, and A3 thinking tells us something about that about really understanding what's what the underlying issues are in an organization and digging deep to understand what the causes are because there's usually more than one cause and they're entangled 
Um, and then, and then based on deep knowledge, choosing, uh, action to improve the situation. So it's, there's less impedance for people doing, doing the hard work of writing software. So do you still see uh, management as the same type of hierarchical model that it is now where you have like managers above the teams and then managers above the managers and then you have to go like six or seven or however many deep before you actually get to the top or is it more flat or how does that all work? Well, I think that is the dominant model of how people think about organizations and how people think about getting work done is through cascading goals that flow down from the top and everybody has their objectives and you know we've known for decades that that doesn't actually work very well, but that is the predominant model. And I think it's very possible to have an organization that functions very well without so many levels of hierarchy. For example, uh, my husband works for a company where they are extremely flat. I mean, they do have... They do have a level called vice president because those are people who are considered officers of the company and can sign contractual agreements committing this company to, um, you know, the projects and, and so forth. But beyond that, their teams are all self-selecting and nobody has a manager per se. They have a, a coach who they meet with and who helps them develop their professional career. So I don't think it has to be a hierarchy to be effective, but that is the model that most people are familiar with. And so that's the default that people go to when they're when their company grows beyond, you know, a couple handfuls of people. So you had hinted at the beginning um about maybe the agile community doing themselves a disservice by you know, taking adopting the mantra of, you know, fire all the managers. Um what do you think the agile community could do different or, you know, how can we kind of rectify that so that we get a little more realistic? Um, I think people have found out that you can't just fire everybody, you know, so what, what can we do uh, to bring the discussion of management and management's new role uh, kind of into the fold and turn that into something that's part of what everyone thinks or maybe newcomers think about agile? Uh, <clears throat> oh, I think part of it is um, recognizing that these are people who, um, are worthy of respect and they're intelligent and they do have something to offer the organization, although it may be something different from what they're doing now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Because once we start treating people like they're idiots or like they don't have value, then people respond in a fairly predictable way by trying to hold on to what they have. Right? They try to hold on to their self-respect. They try to hold on to the value they bring. They try to hold on to their position. So <clears throat> I think really meeting people where they are and treating them like, yes, you do have something valuable to offer is a good starting point. And so if I'm a manager that's listening to this podcast and maybe I'm <clears throat> you know, kind of becoming self-aware to some degree that um, I'm not helping my teams, I'm not empowering them as much as I could, whatever. Uh, is there anything that you would recommend that you know someone in that position do that they could probably do starting tomorrow that they, you think would make an impact and would help them become a better manager in that environment? Um, I think one of the first things that's helpful for managers to do is to get clear with the team about what decisions belong with the team and what decisions are shared decisions and what decisions stay with the manager. And typically the the pile that goes to the team is the biggest pile of decisions, <clears throat> but then the money has to go with that. Because if you, you know, for example, if you tell the team, um, oh, you're, you're responsible for your own professional development, so, you know, sign up for the training that you think you need. 
but then you require them to come on bended knee and fill out a form and get permission right. and you know have to go through an approval process that sends a very contradictory message so be clear about where the decisions lie but also have the authority to make those decisions and carry them out go to the team when where appropriate so i think training is one that can very often go to the team um I think teams should absolutely be involved in any decisions about who joins the team. I know, of course, the manager has to do the legal stuff there because it is a a legal agreement for employment. So that's a shared decision. Um, And then be clear the ones that stay with the manager because that's one of the things where I see a lot of managers and teams get at cross purposes is where the team believes that they have – been delegated decision authority and the manager has a different belief about that and the team goes and makes a decision and then the manager says oh no that's wrong that's my decision which just it 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 well, damages it sends the trust. wrong message right pardon yeah, it kind of sends the wrong message right you know you're right on one hand exactly. you tell them to be self-organizing and then when they when they do you kind of whip <clears> them back right Right. Say, well, you know, you're empowered in your self-organizing but up until the time you do something that isn't what I would have done. So, it, And that, that leads to caution. It leads to distrust. Um, it leads to a, a team that's risk-averse. And it'll probably kind of lead towards a more homogenous organization, too, where only the people that think like-minded are able to, like, stay within right. the team. Right. Right. I heard a really interesting talk uh, last week when I was in Norway um, by a guy named Fred George, and he um, he works for a team that actually doesn't have managers, and it's a small company, so that they're they're able to do that, but they don't have managers, and so when the, this particular team um, decided that they needed to rewrite a particular piece of software, they didn't have to get anybody's permission they just said technically and in terms of the functioning of this software this is what we absolutely need to do and then they weren't quite happy with it so they rewrote it in another language and that's a situation where most managers wouldn't have said okay go ahead and rewrite it twice um but that that's a very very mature team and um they have a lot of uh, conditions in that company that make it possible for them to function that way and, and we talk about, you know, what managers can do. And um, how about on the other side? You, you touched on it a little bit. If I am in an organization or I'm part of an organization where there is a hierarchy and there, and there are um, – it's not as flat as, as maybe you'd like it, what can the, the developers do or the people who make the products do to help empower the managers, to, to help the managers um, be more like working with as opposed to, um, you know, commanding them? Um, well, I think, I think anytime you want a partnership, you have to be able to talk in the language that your partner understands. And this is true of any kind of partnership. You can't just talk in the terms that are, are comfortable and familiar to you. So I think one of the things that developers and testers and all of the people involved in writing software can do is, is, um, learn how to state their case in language that, the managers care about and can hook into because particularly if someone hasn't written code recently and that happens in many organizations um, telling them that uh, something purely in technical terms won't convey the information that will help them be your partner so learning how to frame things in a language that um, 
that makes sense to managers that they can click into and that they can um, then take forward in a way that makes the case that the managers above them care about, I think is an important skill. It's an influence skill, essentially. Um, Do you think that there's anything to be said for, uh, as far as the way management goes now, if it's anything about like a generational thing, um, obviously, you know, if you go take an average organization, the management is probably going to be between, you know, some age and some age. Um, Do you think that there is anything that, you know, they kind of grew up or they went to school and there's a certain way to do things. And so that's how they've adopted and that's how they work. You know, do you think that is going to change with maybe, you know, say 20, 30 years from now that um, maybe people that are going to be in management roles might have a different outlook? Or is that just kind of the nature of the people that get promoted, whether they want to or not, into a management role? Um, That's a really interesting question because, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to sound critical of individual managers, but it's actually the whole, as you are alluding to, it's the whole system of management that um, predominates in most organizations. And it's a model that has, you know, it actually hasn't been around forever. It's only been around for several decades, but it's very, very entrenched. It's that kind of hierarchical bureaucracy. Um, And since that's the only model that many people have seen or experienced, it's sometimes hard for them to imagine something different. Um, right now, I think most of our schools are teaching that. So, um, Well, it seems like I'm, the schools and the organizations. I mean, if you're yeah. you know, the, uh, the lead developer and you're learning how to be a manager, you're pretty much going to learn that from whatever your manager is doing now. And right. it just seems like it's going to perpetuate itself. Yeah, and people from yeah. that generation are the ones that are teaching, you know, the next generation of students too. So it's sure. like self feedbacking, right? Yeah, it seems well, like it's going that I, way. I'm not sure it's generational because I'm, you know, I'm probably um, older than a lot of the managers out there, and I don't think that way. Sure, that's true. Yeah. Um, I think I think it is a matter of perspective. And then if, if you've only been exposed to one model, it's sometimes very difficult to believe another model will work. And particularly if your beliefs are that, you know, you have to push people to get them to work. And if you're not on top of them all the time, they're not going to work very hard. That's kind of a self-reinforcing belief because, you know, <clears throat> people um, – will work under those conditions mostly to uh, reduce the pressure and the stress, not out of love of work or to create great products. But um, when managers who have that kind of mindset let up, uh, people pause and they take a breath and that reinforces the manager's belief that, see, if not on them all the time, they'll slack off. Hmm. So it's it, it's a hard nut to crack because it is it is a self as you pointed out a self perpetuating system on a, on a number of different levels. But there are there are some companies that are making choices not to go the route of that that sort of hierarchy and that model of management. Well, I think we've uh, we've reached our time box here, so I. Um... <sighs> But yeah, this is so such a fascinating subject. Yeah, sorry, we can you're, talk you're off about the, hook the rest now. of the evening. Well, uh, I did want to ask you know if I'm listening to the podcast, I wanted to find out more about you or uh, you know any books you've written or you know maybe conferences you'll be at. Um, you know what could I do? Well, you can always visit my website estherderby.com. E s t h e r d e r b y dot com. Um, I think the th- one of the things I'm most 
most excited about this summer is uh, the PSL workshop that uh, is coming up in August. We did one in May, and we had so many people who were on the waiting list that we decided to do another one. I, this is a workshop I do with Jerry Weinberg and Johanna Rothman. Uh, I think it's. I think this is excellent training for anyone who's a leader at any level in an organization, and that means everybody. Um, but I think you know, for managers who want to think about organizations in a different way and hone their skills as leaders. Um, and see some different ways to help people be effective. That's that would be an excellent workshop. Great. Well, you know, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, it was a, oh, a real pleasure. My my pleasure. And uh, as always, we'd like to invite anyone that's listening to uh, check out the Agile Weekly uh, fan page on Facebook, um, where you can continue this conversation uh, and and other conversations from our other episodes. And uh, we wanted again just say thanks. Well, I really appreciate the invitation. It's been delightful talking with you guys. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Integram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.